Well, everybody, let's get right to it. Uh, you can text me at any time. That's my number, area code 517-990-4665. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. If we're not Facebook friends yet, we can be if you want. And then I have a blog, a blog, at radamdavidson.com. It's just radamdavidson.com. Somebody asked what the R stands for. It stands for my first name. So let's... You know, I'm kind of bummed, I really am, because this is like the second to last day. Sad shore. For 107 years we've been going out the door. Last time. That's sad. Sad shore. I've never been that close to the Bayshore song than the beginning of the service. When I had Dee Dee and Russ right here in what I call Tibbet's Stereo. I want to say uh, thank you because I love to do this, but I really love to do it at Bayshore because you have such a great environment. This is such a special place. And I would agree that um, this has got to be one of my favorite camps, if not my favorite. and. Please don't tell my free Methodist friends I said that, because uh, we have free Methodist camps too, but uh, you guys are great, so thank you. And um, I just want to thank you for a couple things. I want to thank you for the unique culture that you have here. Um, Bayshore, ever since I was in Wellspring, this is a long time ago that I was in Wellspring traveling, we go camp to camp, and I noticed pretty early on that the culture here is different because you have an excellent campground and an excellent staff and you love Jesus a lot, and you really care about people coming to faith in Christ. And so there's a great camp chemistry here that, one, I'm thankful to the Lord for, and two, I encourage you to keep pursuing him and keep pursuing this mission, okay? So this, this is a good thing. Preserve it, all right? I'm just an outsider. I'm going to fly in and fly out, but I just want to say, man, preserve it. This is really special. So thank you for supporting your camping ministry. Thank you for loving Jesus, and thank you for being on mission. Uh, and I just want to thank you as well for welcoming my son and I uh, and his friend, uh, Malachi and I and Bradley. Uh, had such a, such a great time. We, we did mini golf again yesterday. I think it's a little ironic that the mini golf course is the only place at Bayshore where you don't see golf carts everywhere. It's just ironic. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? That's the one place where there's not a golf cart buzzing. It is, a, it is true. That's the definition of ironic, I think. And so, um, and then at the bottom of one of the hazards, water hazards, is a blue ball. That was my son's that got down there. So we'll try to fish that out before we go. Don't worry. And then um, and we just had such a great time, the boys and I. There, was, there were a lot of Lee Trevino, Fuzzy Zeller, um, Tiger Woods, um, also maybe Happy Gilmore moments on the golf course. Uh, it was wonderful. And then today I was talking with Kevin and Alan, just, just having a little uh, little chat uh, between things, and someone ran over and uh, brought us donuts, like a plate of fresh donuts, which is one of my love languages. So I was really, really grateful to break bread with you guys, and so thank you for that. That's just really nice. I think it's cool, too, because uh, Mac's friend came along, Malachi's friend came along, and he, he hasn't been here before, and the, you know, the church thing is maybe maybe new to some of us, and so so on our first night here, we got here at like, like really like right before the service start. We sat right down there, and then it was offering time. And you know those offering buckets are like big buckets, right? And so the usher hands me a bucket, and then I hand it to, to Bradley, and I was like, popcorn? And he was like, oh! But then he looks, 
because if you've never seen it before, you have no idea what these people are doing. Uh, and then at dinner, I sat with Brian and Michelle from Saginaw. Uh, they just came in for the night. This was their first night here. Uh, for the week, they often come in only on a night or two just to hear the speaker. They drive over from Saginaw. We were sitting there. And so they said, uh, we've come to hear the speaker. And they asked me, have you heard the speaker? And I was like, this is awesome. And I said, yeah, I heard the speaker. He's... And I said, the speaker, he tries. Like, he tries his best. Oh, okay. And they said, um, they said, uh, if the speaker's good, we'll come back a second night. So they're here tonight, so be sure to say bye to them until next year. <laughs> and I do want to apologize for lying. I think I should have said something. But the opportunity wasn't right. I didn't want to drop my own name. That's the worst, right? Like, that's awkward. So anyway, I was so happy that that happened. And I'm just telling you right now, there are two people who are probably getting ready to leave. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Please stay. Um, anyway, so on Monday, we talked about what it means to become more like Jesus, to set our hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why would we set our hearts and minds on things above? Because that's where Jesus is. Why is he above all things? Because he died and resurrected, ascended. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He upholds the universe with the word of his power. He's got everything under control. As the old song says, he's got the whole world in his hands. And so we fix our thoughts, our minds, our hearts on Jesus. We leave our hearts captive to Jesus. And then we ask the question, what would Jesus do in my life in this scenario? I ask the question of myself, what would Jesus do if he were the father to Lexi, Malachi, and Zach? What would he do as the husband to Emily? What would he do at work? What would he do in the community? I try to think like that. Even when I go to the grocery store, I don't do the self-checkout lines. I go to the lines where people are because I want to talk with the people and ask them how they're doing. Because I've noticed that most checkout people aren't super happy because their job is just to push things over a, a scanner and, and get it out in a certain amount of time. I want to talk to them. I want to say, hey, how's it going? And I don't just say, hey, how's it going? I'll ask them questions about their day. I'll say, what's the hot selling item today at Meyer? And they'll say things like pork chops. And I'll say, really? And they're like, yeah, it's buy one, get one free. And so I'll ask them, I'll say things like, well, are you going to have pork chops tonight for dinner? And they were like, no, because they're tired of it. They've held raw meat of pig all day. So but I think that that's just a way to try to be some sort of a different presence. Look, if you even have the, the, the presence of mind to look people in the eye when you're talking with them and to, like, value them as people, as image bearers of God, that alone will make an impact in our super distracted, super isolated world. Here's another irony. We're more connected than we've ever been before, and yet we're so isolated from each other more than we ever have been. Because here we are in a room full of people, and some of us even now are looking at our phones. How bizarre it is, right? How, how strange it is. And maybe it's because you're texting me. So that wasn't a guilt trip, by the way. Because a bunch of people just looked up all of a sudden and put things in their pockets. That wasn't what I was going for. But it is kind of strange. What is it that Jesus would do in your life? And then somebody texted me the next day, and they said, Adam, at work today, I, I was a servant. I was more servant-minded, and I did this for people. And I, I was trying to think about what would Jesus do, and we celebrated that because we're saying, even if you become a little bit more like Jesus tomorrow, you've taken a step in the right direction of becoming truly more like him. And then on Tuesday, we talked about suffering, which leads to perseverance, the strengthening of our lives, which leads to character, the strengthening of our core, which leads to hope, which is a true and genuine trust in God in the future. And then yesterday, we talked about an awareness of God's presence, and we had a holy silence. And if you were here, that's how I would describe it. I was talking with Phil before the service. It was like a holy silence. 
um, this whole room was quiet for five minutes. I mean, it was like really quiet. It wasn't uncomfortably quiet. It wasn't distracted quiet. It was like presence of God quiet. How wonderful it is that we would share that moment together. But an even greater truth is that we can be aware of his presence in any moment. Somebody texted me. Several people have texted me about how they're trying to be more aware of God's presence every moment of the day as I'm trying to as well. This morning I got up and headed down to breakfast and I was walking down that road out there and there's a beautiful morning scene, a mix of sun and clouds. It's sort of mild. The birds are singing and the trees are gently swaying in the wind. God's creation was just on display. And then I noticed somebody out in front of a, a little cabin pulling weeds out of their garden, just pulling weeds out, pop, pop, pop. And then I saw some kids playing um, what I call chaos pool, which is like that where they got the pool balls and they're just throwing pool balls at each other. Uh, it's, it's carpet ball, right? The kids are just playing back and forth. And then uh, a kid was throwing a frisbee. And when I saw the, the person gardening, it, it reminds me a little bit of how in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were just caretakers of the garden, God's presence. They had nothing to worry about. They just got to take care of things. They got to do their hobby. And there's this person doing that this morning. When I saw the kids playing carpet ball, they just had such freedom. They weren't worried about the political scene or the world stage. They weren't worried about the economy or gas prices or anything like that. They're not even worried about where the next meal is going to come from. They're just throwing pool balls at each other. There's so much freedom there in the kids. We learn so much from the way our kids live. And then the kid who, who threw a Frisbee, and this was how the Frisbee game went. It was just like this. He had a Frisbee, and he, and he threw it, not like this, but like a karate chop style. And so it just went sideways, and then just cracked. And I look over to, like, who caught the Frisbee? There's no one there to catch the Frisbee. So he, like, threw it to no one. But here's the best part. He threw it. It, like, hit the sandbox, and he said, I got it. I got it. And, like, ran over and picked it up and maybe threw it back to where he was. I don't know. But I'm telling you, there's two ways you can look at that. You can kind of go, meh world. Or you can go, man, this is like the presence of God kind of stuff happening. This freedom, this release, this joy, this Eden going on around us. God is here now. Whether you know it or not, he's here. He's here. And what's even better is, is not only do we long for the Holy Spirit to dwell in this space, we're really saying, Holy Spirit, you are welcome right here in my heart, in my life, in the temple. This place is yours. I've been bought with a price. I'm yours. Fill me. Here I am. And so tonight, I want to talk about not just an awareness of God's presence, but several people texted in about hearing God's voice. Hearing God's voice. Not just being in his presence and getting quiet enough to hear that voice above, above all the static and noise, but to really center in and know when God is speaking to us. In John 10, 27, Jesus is speaking. And we talked about this yesterday. Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. This tells us that Jesus is relational in his communication to us. That it's not a, that's not a bland familiarity like when you just call a store to see if they're open. It's like calling a friend whose voice you recognize and recognize well. Jesus says, My sheep listen for my voice. They recognize me. That's John 10, 27. Jesus is a relational leader, a relational leader shepherd. In Isaiah 30, 21, Isaiah says, whether you, or God is speaking through Isaiah, and he says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's Isaiah 30, 21, that, that God speaks to us in a situational way, that he'll speak to us in a step-by-step -step sort of manner, that he speaks and reveals his will as we need to know it from one step to the next. And then in Hebrews 4, 12, it says, for the word of God 
is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We see there that God's word is available and reliable and precise. How many of you have your own copy of the Bible? I would bet all of us, somewhere in your collection, or you could get one. And even if you don't have your own handheld copy, you can find it online. You can find it at BibleGateway.com. The Word of God is available and reliable to us more than it ever has been to the world before. And so in John 10, 27, where Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice, it's almost like this. You know, if, if, if I'm in church and Zach, our nine-year-old, is there, he hears my voice, right? And, and he's in the room and I'm talking, doing my thing. And if he starts to misbehave, all I need to do is look at this, Zach. And he, hmm. All he needs to hear is dad's voice in that right tone, Zach. Like that, not that I yell at my kid in front of everybody. But then again, all he has to hear is that little, not that I yell at my kid, period. But anyway, all he needs to hear is that little tiny voice, that little, Zach. He recognizes that. He knows what that means. So that when Jesus goes, Adam, I, hmm, sorry, <laughs> that I recognize his voice. In Isaiah 30, that as I'm walking, there's something behind me, there's something in me that says, turn right. And I go, okay. Turn left. Okay. Why doesn't he tell us turn right, then left, then right, then left? He only tells us as much as we need to know in the moment. Sometimes God will reveal a grandiose plan and he'll voice it. But so often he just expects us to listen like GPS, just one step at a time. Turn right, turn left, go. And then Hebrews, does anybody have a pocket knife handy? Can I, can I borrow your pocket knife, Lou? I'll come get it from you. You know, there's a lot of different ways to, to cut stuff up. It's in your suitcase in your... Okay. Oh, thank you so much, sir. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, this is called an old timer. I have a knife like this. I bet a lot of you do. Here's this, this sharp little knife. Sort of sharp. Yep. Now, this isn't that sharp. Would you say this is, this is that sharp? It's just sort of mildly. Don't go touching it. Okay, yeah. That's Did you recently slice a pear with this or something? It has like a little bit of scotch tape. Okay, so... Here's some worms for fishing, right? Just making sure. Okay, so you know, here's this knife. And the scripture would describe God's word as sharper than this. But with this little tiny point, I'm able to kind of get in there and really do some precision cutting, some surgical cutting, if you will. If you've ever had surgery, aren't you glad that the surgeon used a really sharp scalpel? And not this. <laughs> that the Word of God is, is living and active, which means that there's a, there's a vibrancy to it, that it actually sort of functions almost as if it has a will of its own, to be able to cut in and, and shape and mold, that it knows exactly where to go to make the incision. And, and sometimes God's Word seems so general. But if we're listening to the Holy Spirit and we're considering and really considering God's presence in our lives, there are those times, and I bet you've had these before, some of you, where you'll be reading the Scripture, contemplating something in life, and all of a sudden this Scripture verse written 2,000 years ago, and your life will sort of collide, and the Holy Spirit will go, there's your answer. Not unlike what he did with me when I was reading Psalm 16 in college. Adam, there it is. With surgical precision, God speaks. So how do I hear God's voice? Can I ask you three questions? Question number one, do I want to hear God's voice out of relationship or convenience? If I want to hear God's voice out of relationship, 
because I want to know him better and recognize his voice as a sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice. It's out of relationship. But if I just want to know God's voice out of convenience, that's a bit of a conundrum because it sort of sounds like I'm only going to go to the Lord when I need a bailout or when I need just maybe a second opinion. I don't want to just get to know, know God out of convenience. I want to get to know him in relationship, which means that I have to build into my life a practice where I'm listening to him daily and submitting every part of my life to him and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done on all of the things that the day is about to bring to me. To make a regular practice, not just of convenience, but of just relationship, really relating to him. If you have a spare tire in your car, you hope you never need it. But if you do, it's awfully convenient. If this describes your prayer life, it's only a go-to when. This is not an active relational prayer life. So I really have to ask the question, if you want to hear God's voice, that's great. Do you want to hear it out of relationship, which is good, or out of convenience, which is a start? Like, that's a step in the right direction. Maybe you have that as a practice. You do kind of go to God in the more convenient moments than the regular practical relational moments. Okay, let's build from there. What if you went to the Lord about more stuff? What if you went to him more often? What if you got to the point where even right now you could be talking to him, saying, Lord, is there anything in this you want me to hear? Because you can. God has unlimited bandwidth in his prayer. He, he, there, there's never, you're never going to overload him. You'll never hear a busy signal. He, he is always able to... He, Somehow the Holy Spirit is able to maintain individual conversations with each of us right now. That's amazing to me. So do I want to hear from him out of convenience or relationship? And sometimes in our asking, in our moments where we are just like pushed to the end and we don't know what to do or where it's all going to go, I think a lot of times God pushes us to that edge so that we'll get past the convenience and grow in relationship as we truly trust him. Because the times that I've really learned to trust God are the moments where I'm right at the edge and I even got one foot dangling. And I'm saying, all right, Lord, can you show me what to do? And then Emily and I will look back afterwards after those moments and we'll say, why didn't we just ask him that 27 steps ago? Yet we know him better. We know him better. We know his grace. Do I want to hear God's voice out of relationship or convenience? That's my first question. My second question do I hear God's voice as authoritative or optional? Do I hear God's voice as authoritative or optional? Because if God's voice is authoritative, that means I'm going to listen and obey because I see God as having authority over me, and so I see and hear his voice as his authoritative word. But if I see and hear his voice as an option, I've got a problem. Because I can't merely make it an option and say, let's get all the options on the table. As if you're, as if you're sitting at a boardroom table and you ask the treasurer and you, you ask the VP and you, you ask this trustee and you kind of you get all this information in the boardroom of your heart. And then over there in the corner is Jesus. And you say, by the way, Lord, wh what do you think? You know a few things about this or that. What do you think? Jesus in his humility doesn't destroy the table. Well, he says, you know, Adam, he, you know, if you really want to hear the truth, it's this. And if I hear that and I go, thanks, Jesus, I'll take that into consideration. Who's the Lord of that situation? Who's going to mess it up real bad? 
Who deserves to be Lord of that situation? It's him. Jesus, please come to the head of the table. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. I think sometimes God doesn't reveal an answer to us, us because he knows we won't do it anyway. I think sometimes God leaves us hanging and waits until the moment where we are truly desperate and we will do anything to bring closure. That's when he reveals the answer. I think he enjoys pushing us to the edge just like you enjoy cajoling your kid to go down the water slide. Come on, it'll be fine. No, it'll be fine. No, watch, daddy will do it. And then daddy gets stuck, <laughs> right? <laughs> the lifeguards get a mop and push daddy down the slide. Okay, do it now. Like we, why do we enjoy like pushing our kids to do that? Why don't we just leave them alone, let them float? Because we want them to grow, right? We want them to be challenged. We want them to have a good time. Jesus, I believe, because our lives are not nearly as bad or as serious or as terrible as we think, I believe that Jesus and his dad are having a wonderful time nudging us on like a weekend at the lake. Come on, try water skiing. Why not? You'll be fine. You're wearing a life jacket. Why not? Do I assume God's voice to be authoritative, authoritative or optional? It can't be optional. You need to decide on the way in. Lord, as you reveal, I will do it. And then third, am I motivated by obedience or avoidance? This one's a little tricky. Because remember that Hebrews talks about a very specific sort of surgical application of God's word. That God's word will, will shape perfectly into your uniquely shaped situation. And when he reveals to you something, you have to take it as an obedience. Like, I want to trust you, God. Sometimes, though, our prayer is driven by, I need to get out of this situation. So would you get me out of it? And I would dare say that certainly not without sinning, but however, in a request for avoidance, when Jesus is in the garden and he prays, Father, could you take this cup from me, that in that moment he's modeling a sort of avoidance. Or maybe just to put a more realistic and human edge to it, he's just being human. He's revealing his heart. He's saying, God, I don't want to do this. But do you remember how Jesus finishes that prayer? He says, not my will, but yours be done. So he doesn't stop at avoidance. He says, to be honest, Father, I don't want to do this. That's the avoidance part. However, it's not my will, but yours that needs to be done. If we're motivated by avoidance, God is going to do as he always does and be more concerned about our spiritual formation than he is about keeping us happy. If we're praying out of obedience, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's this and ten times more because I can see that you're growing and that you can be trusted. Jesus says, my sheep, listen to my voice. Isaiah says, whether you turn to the right or the left, a voice will say, this is the way. And Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active. So do I want to hear God's voice out of relationship or convenience? Do I assume God's voice is authoritative or optional? And am I motivated by obedience or avoidance? Lest we think that prayer is merely a mechanical act, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. I rarely... Um, I don't have a best of sermon series. Like, I don't have sermons I just pull out of my pocket because there is no such thing as a best of. 
I don't have it. Like I don't do. I don't save them. I always try to do something fresh everywhere I go. However, I felt led to talk about something that we just did a six-week series on earlier this summer at Renovation Church on the Book of Habakkuk. And so, in a few minutes, we're going to cover the whole Book of Habakkuk because I think the Lord would have something for us tonight in this. Um, I've never heard a message series on the Book of Habakkuk. In fact, in a class that I had on the Minor Prophets, the professor was like. Habakkuk and all the rest of the prophets. Now on to the New Testament. Like that's almost it was just like a just a f- super fast flyover. Habakkuk is rich. It's probably one of the well, I don't know. I can't weigh the word one way or the other, but it's probably one of the most important Old Testament minor prophets because it is one of the linchpins of the argument in the New Testament that the righteous will live by faith, which is mentioned in Hebrews, Romans, and Galatians. So turn to the book of Habakkuk. And by the way, that's how I say it, just like I say Chewbacca. Some people can say Habakkuk, and some people can say Chewbacca, but I say Habakkuk and Chewbacca. Just a great way to remember, or, or not. Somebody texted and said, I hear his voice and compare it to the world speaking to me. The two are at enmity. Yeah, yeah, one of the ways that you'll know God is speaking is when it really does go counter to what the world would say is the natural way to go. Because God's is the supernatural way to go. Somebody else texts in relationship, true. Somebody else texts in, did you eat donuts while drinking a cup of coffee? No. Someone's trying to figure out my first name. It is not Ralph, Rondo, Romeo, Rehoboam, Reuben, or Reverend. Somebody asked if my first name is Reverend because my first name starts with the letter R. Would you like to know what it is? No. I am ordained, though, so when people call me Mr. Davidson, I go, ha, 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 my dad is Mr. Davidson. I'm Reverend Davidson. (laughs) No, I don't do that. Would you like me to tell you my first name? No. Okay. All right. So we're in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is great. Habakkuk is basically, it's, it's not your typical Old Testament prophecy where somebody's laying down the truth and then running out of town. It's actually just a, an honest conversation with God. This is like reading Habakkuk's prayer journal. And since we're talking about hearing God's voice, one of the places we will hear God's voice is in our prayer times. This is where Habakkuk hears God's voice in a very difficult situation. The first phrase that we see in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. What a way to start your prayer. When I start my prayer, it's, good morning, Jesus. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you so, and I kind of go through a litany of just adoration. This is how Habakkuk starts. He basically starts like this. He knocks on the door. God opens the door, and he says, hey, let me ask you a question, Yahweh. And he starts complaining. You know that God can handle your complaint, right? You know that you don't have to pretend like you're not agitated or frustrated or concerned or questioning. You don't have to do that. I mean, be respectful, be humble, but be honest. Be honest with God. Why would you waste any breath putting on a facade before the Lord? He certainly knows. Habakkuk may be complaining, but at least he's honest because he knows it's a relationship. He's not a pinata or a sky fairy or a lowercase g god to keep happy or or anything like that. 
He's Yahweh. He's Jesus. He's the Spirit that we are in relationship, and Habakkuk is honest. And then God answers in verse 5. He says, Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days you wouldn't believe even if you were told. I'm going to raise up these guys called the Babylonians. They're ruthless and impetuous people. They sweep across the whole earth, and they seize dwellings not their own. I'm going to tell you that this is not what Habakkuk thought he would hear. Because what Habakkuk is saying to God is, all of your people, God, all of the Israelites are sinning. They're just not living right. What are you going to do to fix this? And God says, I'm going to send in the Babylonians to fix this. The Babylonians are way worse than the Israelites. The Babylonians are the super bad guys in the world. And then God lays out what the Babylonians are up to. They're feared and dreaded people. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. And then jump all the way to verse 11. It says these Babylon- God says these Babylonians sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. This would be like being invaded and brought to justice and the judgment of God by the worst possible sinners in the world. And we would all think, well, we aren't as bad as those people. We aren't as bad as that army. This is what Habakkuk hears from God. And so guess what Habakkuk does in verse 12? He complains. He again, has an honest conversation with God. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? The answer is yes, he is, by the way. He says, my God, my holy one, you will never die. You've appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are way too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why would you have these treacherous, evil, horrible people come in and, 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 and berate us? How could you fight wickedness with more wickedness? You, and, then, and then Habakkuk goes on. He says, you're the creator, God. You made people like the fish in the sea. And then, and then we get to chapter 2, and Habakkuk says, you know what, though? I'm going to stand at my watch. I'm going to station myself on the ramparts. By the way, a rampart is like a big tower in a wall. It's like the taller place, like the lookout. Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to station myself. I'm going to look to see what you will say to me, God, and what answer you will give to my complaint. So here's what Habakkuk does. Complains to God, honestly. God answers him, honestly. Habakkuk complains about the answer, honestly. But this is where he stops. Because remember, he's humble. And in Habakkuk's humility, he simply says, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's going this way. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a tall tower. I'm going to stand here. And I'm going to watch for what you do, God. And I'm going to wait. And Habakkuk just stands and waits and keeps watch. And he trusts and waits and waits and waits some more. And then God answers him again. And God starts talking about what he's going to do to fix it. And he starts talking about what he's going to do to fix the Babylonians when they're done because he wants his people holy. And God says in Habakkuk 2.4, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Just stop for a second. Do you see how conversational this is between Habakkuk and the Lord? You see how relational this is, that Habakkuk recognizes his voice, that Habakkuk is asking for next steps, and Habakkuk is looking for a specific answer from God's word. And God simply tells him, man, just 
live faithfully. Let them be them. You live faithfully. And Paul quotes that, and Hebrews quotes that. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And then jump ahead to Habakkuk 2.14. And God says, here's how it's going to be. As I unfold my answer, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then you jump all the way ahead to Habakkuk 2, verse 20. And God says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Not unlike what we had last night. And then Habakkuk responds again. And consider how different his approach is this time from last time. Remember last time it was complaint, complaint. Now look at Habakkuk 3. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's such a different prayer from last time, isn't it? Do you know what changed Habakkuk and what made him grow spiritually? he actually had an honest conversation with a holy God. And he himself became just a little bit more like Jesus. And Habakkuk jumps all the way to verse 16, and he knows he's dealing with a big, powerful God. He says in verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. If you think that thunderstorm was amazing, it's nothing compared to the presence of God. Habakkuk says, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled, and yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity, which is the day that God would make it right. And by the way, Habakkuk doesn't bring unrealistic expectations to God and say, by the way, you owe me this, this, this. Look at how settled he is in trusting God no matter what. Verse 17, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Basically, total calamity, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is all out of relationship. This is all out of step-by-step direction, and it's so precise. At Renovation Church, we have a saying. The saying is, choose joy. Habakkuk finds the way to choose joy in trusting God and hearing his voice. That saying, choose joy, has become such a concept at the church that we actually have a theme song. Not like the Bayshore song, not that, not that specific. It's just two notes. It's an octave. It goes like this. Choose joy. Like that, like an 80s rocker. Let me try it for you again. Choose joy. Try it with me. One, two, three. Choose joy. That's the way to go. But to find that joy, to find that strength, we must know his voice. We must listen to it every single day. So here's what, what I think we need to do tonight. I don't know, but I think this is where we're going to end. I think the worship team is going to come. We're going to sing together. And as we sing, this will again be an environment of response. I'm pretty much done talking. We'll pray again at the end. But the reason, you know, I'm guessing that the reason somebody said, I want to hear God's voice or learn to hear God's voice better It's because maybe you're sitting on something or carrying something in your life that you really need to hear some direction on. And maybe tonight you can actually be honest with the Lord, even about your frustrations or your worries or your concerns. And what if instead of holding those back, you just let him have those so that he can take them and then shape you to become more like him? What if tonight is just a night of surrender? So again, let's talk about the altar. If somebody comes to the altar, what are we not going to do? Oh boy, I bet I know what they're praying about. No. This is not a place of, like, rank and pride. This is a place of humility before our God. 
And sometimes just taking a position of kneeling, even perhaps only for a few moments, this does something to release in us something more profound than we even realized was there. Yes, the Holy Spirit can meet you in your seat. Yes, the Holy Spirit can meet you in your camper or your lodge somewhere later on tonight or in the week. But what if this is the opportunity that he's invited you to, to simply say, I surrender all. What is it you want to hear his voice about? What decision are you waiting on? What clarity are you looking for? Maybe you're going to pray or intercess for somebody else. Let's do that as we sing and worship, and then I'll come and pray. You can stand when you are ready. You can come to the altar and kneel if you like. Let's make it a practice now to surrender and to seek the voice of God.
Quoting somebody else who texted in, sometimes Jesus nudges, but sometimes he kicks you in the backside. If that's you, there's still time. Let's continue in a spirit of surrender and express our deepest need to him. Jesus, we declare our total dependence on you. We want to hear your voice. We need to hear your voice. Whether you would speak to us through your word, whether you would speak to our hearts now, whether you would speak to us in the circumstances around us, maybe you choose some other way to get our attention and to speak to us. Help us to hear and to obey and to trust. Lord, all of us have something in our lives where we need to make room for you to speak your truth and your life to that. You are the one who speaks and speaks life. You speak things out of the dead. You speak resurrection. You speak power. You speak creation. You speak a new creation, Jesus. Your word is living and active. You are the word of life. Help us to learn to recognize your voice better. Help us to trust you in every circumstance, to listen for how you're directing us, to listen for that whisper, that nudge from the Spirit. And then, Lord, find us faithful to you and to your word. We want to not just know what to do or not just know what the next steps are. We want to know you better. We need you whether we realize it or not. So, Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your unending and undying love. Thank you for your provision and leading up to this moment. We don't take any of this for granted. We know that you have brought us this far, and we can trust you to lead us, to speak your voice, to get us to the next place. And so we need you, Jesus, yet you don't need us. However you want us, you invite us, and so we hear your invitation. We love you. And we pray these things now in the name of Jesus. And the people said, amen and amen.